All right, Shabbos, say good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking all of our wonderful sponsors to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Tishrei. Dr. Linda Weinberg, Sarah and Ricky Gratz, Julia Rina, E and Eve, in loving memory of their husband, father, and Zayda. Dr. Paul Weinberg, Paris, Moshe, Ben Avram, David. To thank Ayal, Steinberg, Ayal and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Shurim this month and the Schuss of Rufu Shalema for Shulamis Susha Bas, Shulamis Bas Susha, excuse me. Adam and Yudip and Zev for dedicating all the Shurim and Joshua's this month and the Schuss of our Tfilos being Niskabal. A week of learning sponsors, Said and Simahagen for the Rufu Shalema of their granddaughter, Talia Miriam Bas Orli Yehudit, Greg and Rachel Levitan, a commission of the first yard site of Greg's mother, Esther Levitan, Esther Bas Herschel, and in gratitude and in honor of Renewal, an organization which facilitates kidney transplants. Dafyomi sponsors for today, Nathan and Beth Adler, in memory of Nathan's grandfather, Marina Rabnason Ben Pinchas Zichon Livracha. The Meyerowitz family, in memory of Avram Meyerowitz, Basha Meyerowitz, Mordechai Meyerowitz, Fega Meyerowitz, Hirsch Meyerowitz, and Yitzchak Meyerowitz Zichronim Livracha. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshamas will have an Aliyah. The families of Nechama, all of those who require a refuah, should have one together with Kol Chole Yisrael. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, let us begin. So we have a lot to do today. Today's daf is daf Tzadik 90. We are picking up on Peites and Lebe's 89b, and we are picking up 14 lines up from the bottom. So the Gemara says as follows, So let's remember again, the Gemara was taking it for granted that an Arusa has a Ksuva. So now we're trying to figure out from where do we know that an Arusa has a Ksuva, to which the Gemara says, Rather, it must come from the following statement of Rav Chiyabar Avin. So the Gemara says, what is He says, Ishto Arusa. If a man has a wife who's in Arusa, in other words, he's in the irisen state of marriage. So So ultimately, again, there's no anios for her. If he's a Kohen, ultimately, he does not become Tommy for her. So too, she does not become an Onenes for him, nor does she become Tommy for him. Mesa, if she dies, Yarsha, he does not inherit to her. Mesu, if he dies, Gobek Suvasa. Ultimately, she collects her ksuba. Shabbos said, this is a pretty explicit statement here, indicating that what? That even a woman from Erisin has a ksuba. To which the Gemara said, well, maybe not. Don't with the cost of law. Maybe like we said yesterday, maybe this is talking about a case of a man who willingly committed himself to a ksuba. In other words, maybe the default is that you don't have a ksuba from Erisin, but if halacha lamaisa, you willingly commit yourself, then of course, you do have a ksuba. Mm-hmm. I maybe will say, but one second, if we're talking about a case of willful commitment, right? That he's going out of his way to willfully commit himself to a ksuva, then of course she has a ksuva. We'll say, like I said yesterday, no different than any other time you willfully commit yourself financially to someone else. You're committed, to which the Gemara says, You would still need the statement ultimately again that if she dies, he does not inherit her. Okay, stay for both sides. Stay for both sides. Halacha lamaisa. The Gemara still does not seem to have a conclusive proof as to where we know that Narusa has a ksuva. The Rav do Amar get gove ikar. Supposed to remember again, going back to yesterday's daf. Rav had an interesting model that if a woman shows up with a get, the get allows her to collect ikar ksuva. 
if she shows up with the ksuva, the ksuva allows her to collect tosefes. So the rabta amr get kove ikar lechosh dilma mafka gita bahai beidina the gavya the hadra mafka bahai beidina achrina the gavya. So we'll say according to Rav, he says a woman could collect ikar ksuva with a get. Aren't we concerned about the possibility that what she's going to produce her get here, collect ikar ksuva, and then what? Produce her get somewhere else and collect again. Aren't we concerned about? To which the Maybe there's a simple answer. The first time that the woman presents her get and she collects, what do we do with the get afterwards? What do we do with it? We rip it up. Rip it up. You can't rip up a get. Why not? So she says, I need that get. Why do I need that get? That get is my license to remarry. The Gemara says, maybe, maybe, the Karinole, the Kasminon Agabe, Agabe Gita, to which Namsar says, Amra Ba'inola and Subebe, so the Karinole, so ultimately, again, she says, I needed to go in and get remarried, to which the Gemara says, the Karinole, the Kasminon Agabe Gita, Donon Karin Inhu, Lab Nishum Digit, so to which the Gemara says, you're right. Instead, what do we do? We rip the get, now, not rip it up into pieces, but rather we make a rip in the get, and we write the following message on the body of the get itself. The reason we have ripped this get, again, not ripped it up, because you can still be able to read it, so she can still use it as a rayu to get remarried, and we write on it. The reason we wrote the, ripped this get is not because the get is invalid. Rather, the reason we're going and ripping it is so why? It's that she should not use it to collect a second time. So we'll say, so interesting, so in other words, essentially, the get itself kind of becomes, becomes the, the receipt, right? Becomes the shover. And again, the text on the get, we make a little rip. That way, everyone sees that it's different. Put a message on it. And this way, cannot be used to go ahead and collect multiple times. And we'll say, just in terms of the ksuba from Erison, so remember again, we saw the Rambam Paskins, that halacha lamaisa, there is no ksuba from Erison. Like, ksuba only goes into effect on Nisuin, unless, of course, what? Unless, of course, what? A husband chooses to commit himself, right? In other words, if a husband chooses to commit himself to, an, to, to a ksuba as of Erison, of course, that is permitted, that can be done, but halacha lamaisa, there is no tonight based in of a ksuba, except from Nisuin. Incredible. Mishnah. Mishnah, Mishnah, bottom of 89b, pay test some of these. Shnei gittin, shnei ksuvas. So we'll say a very interesting case. Let's say a woman produces two gittin and two ksuvas. And I will say now, why would a woman be producing two gittin and two ksuvas? That's not such a complicated case. Reuben was married to Rachel, right? So she has a ksuva from her marriage. Then what happens? They got divorced. They got divorced. Okay, now what happened? Then, then what happens? They got remarried. So now again, Reuben wrote a second ksuva, for their second marriage. You know, there's an after. He wrote a second story for the second marriage. And then what happened? Didn't work out again. Right? She's a second get. So now she shows up to Beisdin with two gitten and two ksuvas. So what's the luck in such a situation? Govish, take ksuvas. So she collects twice. Again, she collects twice. Two, two, two different ksuva obligations. So she collects twice. Good. She takes ksuvas for get echad. So what happens if she has two ksuvas and one get? Two ksuvas and one get. Right? Or ksuva ushne gitten. Or two, one ksuva and two gitten. I will say, now take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says over here, Shnei ksuvas veget. It's in the wide lines of Rashi, about four lines in. Shnei ksuvas veget. Shekidmu shtehen leget. Now, what we're going to see in this case, what we talk about over here is, interestingly enough, 
both of these ksuvas, the dates in these ksuvas precede the get. Precede the get. So she has two, two ksuvas with two different dates which precede the get. Or ksuva shnegin. Or she has one ksuva two gitin. Right? O ksuva veget umisa. Or what else is actually interesting? She has a ksuva, a get, and a dead husband. Right? And a dead husband. Right? What's the in all of these cases? Eina gova el ksuva achos. Ultimately, again, she only collects one ksuva. Why about saying Shamagarish es ishto vechzira amnas ksuva harishonu machzira? We've actually seen this concept before because there is such a concept in halacha that when a man divorces his wife and then remarries her, he doesn't have to write the new ksuva. Now he can write the new ksuva if he wants to, but lamaisa he can also just as easily rely on the original ksuva. So let's let's analyze this. Rabbi says, which the Gemara says, ibai b'hai gavio, ibai b'hai gavio. So take a look at Rashi in the Gemara, Ibai Bahai Gavya Bitmiya, Vashtik Suvos, the get kai. Then I will say, Rashi's now focused, sorry, the Gemara is now focused on the following case. A woman shows up to Bazdin with two ksuvas and a get. Two ksuvas and a get. So just to illustrate what's happening over here. She has two ksuvas with two different dates, with two different dates, and a get. And a get. So I will say, so now remember, how many, how many ksuvas could she collect? Only one. But what's interesting is the Mishnah makes it sound like which one could she use to collect? Which one could she use? Either one. Either one. To which the Gemara said, really? So, Ibai Bahai Gavi, Ibai Bahai Gavio, Lema Tevitu of Durav Nachman, Amrishmuel, this refused from Nachman, Amrishmuel, what is the Amr of Nachman, Amrishmuel, Shteish Taras Hayotin Bezeachazah. They will say, in general, now in Halacha, you could have this often where you could have two documents. What happens if you, if you have two documents which seem to really be, be focusing on the same transaction? But they come out at two different dates. Come out at two different dates. What's the halacha? So the Gemara says, so I'm sorry, so bital sheni esarishon. A general boss said, when we, when we seem to have two duplicative documents with two different dates, what generally happens is the second one overrides the first. We've actually seen this halacha before. The second overrides the first. So I say, I don't say we should apply the same concept over here in this case as well. Namely, that halacha lamaisa, the second ksuva, should go ahead and essentially cancel out the first. Lab didn't we say about this? Amra Papa, Umod Rav Nachman, the Osif Beidikla, the Tosefes Kasve. So said, there's one exception to this rule. What's the one exception to this rule? If the second shtar adds in something over the first. So said, so in other words, there are two cases of two shtaros. So case number one is where these two shtaros say the same thing. If that's the case, I will say, then what happens? Then what happens? We assume the second one is the primary one and it cancels the first. I will say, you'll say to yourself, who cares? If it's the same shtar, what does it matter if you use the first one or the second one? It matters a lot. Because what matters? I will say, they're dated two different dates. Which means the first one has an earlier lien. The second one has a later lien. So therefore, if they're saying the same information, we go with the second one with the later lien. There's an exception. If the second document adds in more than the first. So I will say, let, let's, let's analyze this with ksuva for just a moment, because it's really interesting, right? So Rachel produces two ksuvas, right? One dated, one dated the first of Av, and one dated the first of Elo. Now I will say, this first of Elo, the second one, includes, Rashi said, Gemara says, where, another palm tree, right? In other words, an additional amount of money, or an additional, an additional value. So we'll say, essentially, the way we interpret these two stars are like this. What Ruben is essentially saying to Rachel is, here's the deal. You can take the document with the earlier lien, the ksuva with the earlier lien, but that ksuva is worth less, 
Or you could take the ksuva with the later lean with a higher face value. Now, from Ruvain's perspective, what is he trying to do? He's trying to sweeten the deal for her to take the ksuva with the later lean, right? Because he's interested in selling off, possibly, what he's interested in doing is selling off unencumbered property from the earlier date. So he's willing to pay her more money in the ksuva for her to accept a later lean date on the ksuva. To which the Gemara So therefore, again, I will say when the Mishnah says, when the Mishnah says that she's producing a get and two ksuvas, it must be that the case over here is they're not duplicative ksuvas. They're two ksuvas mm-hmm. d- dated at two different dates, and the second one includes something additional that the first did not. Now, who determines which ksuva goes into effect? Who determines that? Rachel. Rachel. She could decide. Earlier lean, like smaller face value, lesser face value, or ultimately, again, later lean, greater face value. That's up to her. Fascinating. Tell her about it. So the Bryce said that if what happened? So I'll say she goes ahead and produces a get and a ksuva, and now her husband passed away. So what's the halacha? Top of tzaddik. Im get kodem luksuva, so go ksuvas. So I will say, if her get was before the ksuva, then what we assume happened over here is what? So right, if the get comes before the ksuva, I'm sorry, then ultimately, again, she went ahead and she has two ksuvas. One from before her divorce, one from after, one from after her widowhood. Right? The Gemara says, ksuva kodemes leget, but if the ksuva came before the get, ksuva was there before the get, enagove el ksuva achos. Ultimately, again, she only gets one ksuva. Why? Because we'll say if a man divorces his wife and then remarries her, Amanas Ksuva Harishona Hechzira. He doesn't have to necessarily draft a new Ksuva, but rather again he could remarry her on the basis of the first Ksuva. Now we'll say, now again I want to point out a man remarrying his wife on the basis of her first Ksuva, remember, does something very interesting, which is there's a lien which predates the marriage, which is quite fascinating, right? So right, Ruben's married to Rachel, Ruben's married to Rachel, they divorce. So technically, you will say, so right, what's the process? What's the process? The process is you give a get. What's next step? Next step? Yes. Pay out the ksuva. Okay, then what's next step? I guess another first date, right? right? They go ahead, right, get reacquainted, go to the therapist a little bit, right? They come back, get remarried. Now, what should happen? What should happen? Nuksuva. So there's a concept in halacha that exists that if he has not yet paid out the ksuva, and they decide to remarry, then he could use the first ksuva. So, it's, so to us, to us, that sounds, wow, that's so convenient. That's so convenient. What I will just write, we, we never even took it down from the wall, right? It's still hanging in the living room. So this is fantastic. We could still go ahead and use it. I just want to point out that that could be financially disadvantageous to the husband because now you have a lien on property, which a ksuva lien on property, which actually precedes the date of the marriage. Just that, so again, the, the point the Gemara is making is, if the husband wants to do it, for, for convenience sake, you can do it, although financially, financially it just creates a lien which pre-exists the marriage. Okay, fascinating. Mishnah, the will say, really interesting case. Katan she'esiu avev, she will say, this is a case of a minor son. A minor son, right? A boy who is below the age of bar mitzvah, whose father enters him into marriage. And I will say, what is the status of marriage to a katan? What's the status of the marriage? Nothing. Now, here's what's fascinating over here. But the father married him off. Okay, so the son got married. And what happens? Ksuvasa kayemes, sha'amanas kin kaima. 
Then I will say, now the case over here is that Halacha Lamaisa, then the son grew up. Now, when the son got married, so he wrote, he wrote a ksuva for his wife. He wrote a ksuva. Now again, we'll see the Ramam has a little bit of a different gears on this. But ultimately, again, the son writes a ksuva for his wife. Now what happens? He reaches the age, right? He becomes a bar mitzvah, mazel tov. Right? So now as he becomes a bar mitzvah, halach the Mishnah says that what? The ksuva that he committed to as a katan ultimately still remains in effect. So I said, say, the truth is, it's not a chiddish. Because essentially, what is the Gemara saying? It goes as we're ksuva is tenai beizdin. Ksuva is tenai beizdin. See, even if you wrote absolutely nothing, you still have a ksuva. So what it's just saying over here is, in this case, he happened to have committed to a ksuva when he was a katan, when he now becomes a gadol and the marriage morphs into an appropriate halachic marriage, the ksuva obligation is still there. So the Gemara says, similarly, interestingly enough, similarly, Ger Shekasav, Ger Shekashin Iskaira Ishto Imo. This is a very interesting case. Let's say you have a Gentile, right? A, a guy married to a Gaya, right? A male Gentile married to a female Gentile. And now what happens? When they are both in their Gentile kite, so husband promises his wife a ksuva. Now, what does that mean, husband promises his wife a ksuva? Essentially, what he's agreeing on is a divorce or widowhood settlement when they first get married, right? A prenup. A prenup, right? So Moses, so he committed to this, and now what happens? They convert. They convert. So now what's the halacha? The ksuva that he committed to in his Gentile kite ultimately, again, still remains in effect even when they become Jewish. Fascinating. So the Gemara says, Shaman asking kaima, Amrav Huna, lo shana elam says, by the way, this only refers to Iker ksuva. To Iker ksuva. However, about Tosefes, Eimah. I would say, but Tosefes does not carry over. So in other words, what that means is, if a katan, when he got married, promised his wife Tosefes, or a guy promised his wife Tosefes, when, when the katan becomes a, a gadol, or the guy converts, the Tosefes doesn't carry over. So if they, if they want to commit themselves to Tosefes, what do they have to do? What do they have to do? Recommit at Bar Mitzvah, or recommit upon conversion. Rabbi Huda Amra Filo Tosefes Yeshla. Rabbi, this is not true. Even Tosefes remains in effect. So Meisvei, the Gemara says, Chidshu, no talus Masha Chidshu. So we'll say, ultimately, Rashi says, Chidshu is Katan Mishahigdil, the Gershim and Iskayer. So Chidshu, Rabbi, means if, they, if the Katan, when he, became, when he became a Gadol, added on, added on to the Ksuva Mount, or the guy, when he converted, added on, Whatever, right? Chidshu, I'm sorry. Chidshu, no, tell us, Masha Chidshu. Chidshu in, lo chidshu lo. What do you see from here? It's only if they add on at the time of bar mitzvah or conversion that the add-on amount remains. However, again, even if they added on when he was a katan or they added on when he was a guy, it does not carry over. To which the Gemara says, Ema af Masha Chidshu. Say, even what they added on carries over. I have a hollow taniyachi, but it doesn't say that. Hollow taniyachi chidshu, no talus masha chidshu, lo chidshu besula gavim asayim ba'amana mana tiyofta de Rabbi Huda. So I will say ultimately again we effectively refute the position of Rabbi Huda that the, the ruling of the Mishnah says that if the katan agreed to a basic ksuva, ikar ksuva at the time of his marriage as a katan, or the guy agreed to ikar ksuva at the time of his marriage, and now the guy converts, the katan becomes a gadol the primary ksuva carries over. But if when the katan was a katan, or the guy was a guy, they, uh, they agreed to tosefes, the tosefes amount does not carry over. So should they want to go ahead and guarantee tosefes, the katan will have to recommit to that at the time he becomes a gadol, 
the guy will have to recommit to that at the time he becomes a convert. So the said, by the way, Rav Yehuda Masnisati, Rav Yehuda was just misled by the Mishnah, he thought that when the Mishnah said that Ksuva Kayemes, that the Ksuva, that the Katan agreed to, the Ksuva that the guy agreed to, when he becomes a Gadol, when he converts, remains intact, Rabbi Huda thought that referred to Akula Milsakai. He thought that that referred ultimately again to the entire Ksuva, according to Osephus, Velohi, and it was not true, Aikr Ksuva Kai. Ultimately again, ultimately again, it only refers to the Iker Ksuva. And I will say, I'll tell you, so the way the Rabbam codifies this halacha is quite interesting. The Rabbam says, when a katan marries a woman, there is no ksuva. Now, why is there no ksuva? Why is there no ksuva? Because there's no marriage. Because there's no marriage, right? But If he becomes an adult and then remains married to her, then there is a ksuva. Now I will say, there's a ksuva even if he does what? Even if he does what? He does nothing. Why? Because I will say, ksuva is a t'nai beizdin. T'nai beizdin says, you owe it even if you don't commit to it. So what the rabbi is essentially saying is, this case is like a little bit of a misnomer. In other words, that when a katan commits to a, to a ksuva, when he gets married, right, and he's a katan, just like the marriage is not binding, his commitment to a ksuva is not binding. The Chiddush of the Mishnah is, if the Katan remains married to this woman as a Gadol, so once he becomes a Gadol, this morphs into a marriage, right? A guy is married to a woman and they convert together and they remain together, ultimately it morphs into a marriage. The Chiddush is, the moment marriage morphs into a halachically recognizable marriage, the Tanai Ksuva sets in, even if what? Even if what? Even if the husband never actively committed himself to Ksuva. Now, of course, what does that apply to? Eker Ksuva, what doesn't it apply to? Tosefes Ksuva. Tosefes, if he wants to commit, he has to knowingly opt in. Hajralach, Akhol Sevlish, Rabosai, Mazeltov, Mishayanasa Ishtainashim, Umeis. Harishona, Umeis, sorry. Let's say, watch this. So Ruvain was married to Rachel and Leah. What happens? Now Ruvain dies. Now Ruvain dies. So we'll say, what's the Shaila? We have an inheritance Shaila. So Umeis, Harishona Kudemis Lishnia, the Yosha Harishona Kudemis Lishnia. So we'll say, Ruvain's married to Rachel and Leah. Ruvain dies. So we'll say in this case, Rachel and her descendants, right, have first rights in her ksuva, right, and ksuva spinin dichrin as well. Right, we come back to that again. That's the clause that a husband writes in his wife's ksuva, that her children that she has with him will inherit her ksuva independent of any other Yerusha considerations. So in this case, Reuven is married to Rachel and Leah. Reuven dies. Rachel gets to collect her ksuva before Leah. And I will say, I want to point out, we're going to touch on this. It's actually something very interesting, which is, in a case where the husband dies, there's, two, there's multiple things that's happening over here. Right? So Reuven dies. Reuven dies. The first order of business is ksuva distribution. Right? After ksuva distribution, then what? Then we have estate distribution. Right? So we're going to see there's going to be sometimes a little bit of a clash between those things. So here, Reuven's married to Rachel and Leah. So Reuven dies. Rachel gets to collect her. Rachel and her descendants get to collect her ksuva before Leah, Leah and her descendants get to collect her ksuva. Good. Next case. the following case. Reuven married Rachel. Reuven married Rachel. And Rachel died. 
Then Rachel died. So now we'll say, leaving behind children. Then Reuven married Leah, Leah, right? Umesu, and then Reuven dies. And Reuven dies. So we'll say, so what's Allah in this case? So just to find out what you have going on over here. So now, now I have the, now I have the, now I have the descendants of Rachel who want their mother's ksuva. And ultimately, again, Leah, Leah, who is the wife who is still alive, who wants her ksuva. So what's Talacha? Shniya v'yarshia kobman v'yarshia In this case, Rabbi Osayi, Leah and her descendants take precedence over, take precedence over Rach, or Rach, well, Rach is dead, but Rachel's descendants. Now, Rabbi Osayi, what's the pshat with this? If you look at Rashi, it's very interesting. Shniya v'yarshia kobman, shehi ba'alas chov, avarishonah ba'ni yarish asavir. Because Rabbi Osayi, Leah, Leah, who is still alive, the second wife who is still alive, she is looked at as a creditor. Versus Rachel's descendants are looked at as inheritors. Yarshin. They both say, creditors always have a first position over inheritors. So therefore, interestingly enough, Leah, who is a creditor, the living wife, the widow, is a creditor of the Gabi Herksuva, and therefore, Rachel Maisa, she'll have a first position over Rachel's, inher- Rachel's descendants, who are inheritors. Fascinating. So, so the fact that it says, the first wife, right? The first wife ultimately, this is going back to the first case, that the first wife ultimately takes precedence over the second one. And it doesn't say the first wife has and the second wife doesn't. So this is talking about the case, ultimately, Reuven's married to Rachel and Leah, and now what? Reuven dies. Reuven dies. So what's the halacha? So Rachel has first rights over Leah. So the Gemara just points out over here, the fact that it says, that it does not say, the first wife Rachel has and the second wife doesn't, teaches us that what? So let's say, teaches us that what? Let's say Leah was a bit more aggressive than Rachel. So what happens? After Reuven dies, Leah seizes property from the estate to satisfy her ksuva. So what do we see from here? So ultimately, it teaches us that we would not extract the property from Leah. That as much as Leah did something incorrect, she seized property really before it was owed to her, before she was in line to collect. Halachalai, so we wouldn't extract it. What do we see from here? So we'll say, you see from here a very interesting principle, which is in general, let's say I owe multiple people money. And let's say I, Ruvain, Ruvain has a debt which precedes Shimon. So really the order of payment is the earlier the debt, the order of payment. Let's say Shimon cuts the line, sees his assets in order to satisfy his debt, even though his debt is later than Ruvain's, seems to be based on this Mishnah that what? If he seizes it, he seizes it. He seizes it. Tirish Mara says, not necessarily. Not necessarily. If you're a creditor and you skip the line, and you skip the line, and you seize assets earlier than you're due, than you're, than you're entitled to, so we will extract it from you. My codemes. Legamre. So we'll say, no, no, no. What, what, what ultimately? When the Mishnah says, so we'll say, in this case, where Reuven is married to Rachel and Leah, and Reuven dies, and Reuven dies, and the Mishnah says that Rachel comes before Leah, what does that mean? Legamre. And we'll say, Legamre means that even if there's only enough money in the estate to pay off Rachel's ksuva, 
And after we pay off Rachel's Ksuma, then what? Then what? There's nothing left for Leah. We still pay off Rachel's Ksuma. And we don't say, well, you know what? There's not enough for both of them. Let's divide a little bit more equitably. No, not true. Kodem means Rachel has Kadimu. She has precedence. Her Ksuma is paid off, even if that means there's not a penny left in the estate for anything else. Kedisnan, as we learned, Ben Kodem Labas. I will say, just like when the Mishnah, when the Mishnah used Lashon of Ben Kodem Labas, a son comes before a daughter. What does it mean a son comes before a daughter? That a son inherits. And even with the inheritance of the son, there's nothing left for the daughter. That's, so you see the Lashon of Kodem means someone has precedence to the, to the point that even if there's nothing left for the other parties, Halacha Lamaisa, we still distribute. Ikadami, others are also an alternate version of this. Alternate version. Since it doesn't say in the Mishnah that if the second one came along, meaning Leah, second wife, came along and seized property for her ksuva, we don't extract it from her hands. Sounds like from here that if Leah were to come along in Halacha Lamaisa, seized property, we would extract it from her. Shmami, now we learned from here. Sounds like from here that if you have a creditor, a later position creditor, who comes out of turn and sees his property, so ultimately we will extract that which he took, to which the Gemara says, no, maybe not, but it's just an alternate version of the previous conversation. Maybe we'll say in general, even if you seize out of turn, whatever you took, you took. The Gemara says, but nevertheless, I did the Tana Shnia Vyarsha, Kolman Liyarsha, Rishona, but since we said that ultimately, later on in the Mishnah, the second wife and her inheritors come before the inheritors of the first wife, therefore, on the days, Tanyanami Harishona Kodemus Lishnia. We use the same Lashon ultimately again of Rishona Kodemus Lishnia. Good. So we'll say so two different versions. We're going to see, I will say, that the Halacha ultimately is really going to side with the first version. Namely, that Halacha Lamaisa, when the Mishnah says, Ruven's married to Rachel and Leah, right? Now, Ruven dies, Ruven dies. Who has first rights of collection for Aksuba? Rachel. And we're going to see that that is true even if Halacha Lamaisa, it leaves very little, it leaves very little for any type of collection for the rest of the estate. Rachel's rights really come before anything else. Again, we'll see that a little bit clearer later on. So, so now we come to the second case in the Mishnah. Right? So the second case in the Mishnah was, here we go. Ruven marries Rachel, Ruven marries Rachel, and then what happens? Rachel dies. Rachel dies, you may say. Now, say, now I want to point out, what happens when Rachel dies? What happens when Rachel dies? So Ruven, her husband, inherits her. Now remember, the piece that's still outstanding over here is what? Ksuvas bin indichren. Right? So ultimately, remember again, Rachel's, Rachel's children, Rachel's sons, have the halachic right to inherit her ksuva. Okay? Now what happens? So now Ruven, Ruven marries a second wife, Leah. And what happens? Now he predeceases Leah. He passes away. So then I both say, so now, who, who's in line? Who's in line? Of course, after the Leviah. Right? But who's, who's in line to collect? Right? We've got Rachel's sons and Leah. And Leah, right? Leah's the widow. Right? So Leah wants her ksuva. Rachel's sons want their mother's ksuva. So in this case, what's the halacha? Shniya v'yarshechum l'yarshevishon. In this case, I both say, Leah takes, Leah, the second wife, takes precedence over the inheritors of Rachel, the first wife. Why? So Rashi said, why? Because Leah is what? Leah is what? Leah is a creditor. Leah is a creditor versus Rachel's descendants who are inheritors. And apparently what the Mishnah is teaching me is that creditors take precedence over inheritors. Okay, says the Imar. So Shemamina plus. We learned from here three things. Number one, Shemamina achas b'chayi v'achas b'moso yeishlan ksubas v'nindichrin 
Shabbosite, this is interesting. What you see from here is something very interesting, which is that the children of the first wife have ksuvas benedichren, which is interesting, right? So children of the first wife have, so in other words, that ksuvas benedichren applies even if the father remarried. Now, well, why, why I would think otherwise, we'll see. Right? So in other words, ksuvas benedichren applies even to, even to, the Yarshim of the first wife, right? And we're not concerned about any type of conflict within the family. Now, Mimai, from where do we see this? From the fact that the Mishnah says, in this case that we just learned, that who takes precedence? Leah and her Yarshim take precedence over the descendants of Rachel, the Yarshim of Rachel. What do you see from here? So, Miktam Hu Dekadmi, we see that Leah takes precedence over Rachel's kids. Ha'ika Shakli. But we see that Rachel's children are still what? Entitled to Ksuvas Benindichren. So, both say, so that's, that's, that's Halak number one that we see. That Ksuvas Benindichren applies even if husband father has remarried. Right? Ultimately, again, the children of the first wife still have the claim of Ksuvas Benindichren. Good. That's Halak number one. Shmami no? Ksuva Naasis Mosul Lechaverta. So we'll say, this is very interesting. What we also see is like this. So we'll say, in general, in general, the Gemara is operating on a principle. The principle is that the only time that you're obligated to pay out Ksuvas Benindichren is when there's going to be something left in the estate after you pay out that ksuba. But if essentially payment of the ksubas been indifferent, ksubas been indifferent, not regular ksuba, ksubas been indifferent is gonna is gonna wipe out the estate, there's no din of ksubas been indifferent. Essentially we'll say, now why is that? To frame that a little bit differently, ksubas been indifferent is what type of takana? What type of takana? Adirabanan. Yerusha is Daraisa. So if the Ksuvas Benindichrin is going to obviate the Yerusha, right? It's going to totally undermine Yerusha, which is the Noraisa, then no, no, we don't do that. So it's, it's a fascinating halacha. Now, how much has to be left in the estate after Ksuvas Benindichrin? Even a dinar. So in other words, minimal amount, minimal amount. But the point is, there has to be something left in the estate after the payment of Ksuvas Benindichrin in order to pay Ksuvas Benindichrin. Otherwise, we say no, the dinar of Yerusha Trumps the din of ksuvas ben indichrin. Such a fascinating halacha. So we'll say. So what do you see from here? What do you see from here? So we'll say. You see from here that ksuva naasis mosul lechaverta. So we'll say. Now watch this. Watch this. So what we will say is that halacha lemaisa that the ksuva that the pay, in other words the the, pay, the ksuva itself can count as the residual amount in the estate. In other words, that even though let's say I have enough money to pay out the two ksuvas. And when I pay out those two ksuvas, what's going to happen? There's nothing left. Halacha when I pay out the first ksuva, the second amount, which I know is going to go towards the second ksuva, can still count as the residual amount in the estate so as to allow for the distribution. We'll see, the, we'll, we'll see this play out in the Gemara in just a moment. How do you know this? How do you know this? Because the Mishnah doesn't say that there needs to be a Mosar dinar in addition to what? In addition to the two ksuva payments. So you see from here that Allah Khalamaisa, the second Ksuba payment itself could be looked at as the Mosar as the additional amount for the first. And the first could be looked at as the Mosar Dinar ultimately for the second. And Allah number three, Ushmamina, 
Ksubas benendichrin lo tarfa mimushabadi. Mimushabadi. I'll say furthermore, the third thing you learn is what I will say, that Ksubas benendichrin cannot be paid from encumbered properties. Which means that what? That for, for payment of Ksubas benendichrin, you can only pay it out from what? Property that the estate owns. But if, let's say again, Ruvain sold off property, the Yershin don't have the right to what? To go to Lekuchos, to go to purchasers and claw back property to pay the Ksuvas Benin Dichrin. I will say, I want to point out, that's fundamentally different than what? Than what? Regular Ksuva. Right? Regular Ksuva, if Ruvain went ahead and sold off his entire estate and now Ruvain dies or is divorced, Rachel has the right to claw back property to pay for a ksuva. That is dafka a din in ksuva, not a din in ksuva spinindichrin. So ksuva spinindichrin, if the estate has the money, great. If the estate doesn't have the money, no clawback. No clawback. So the Gemara says, why? How do you know? Because ultimately, again, if you think that you can go ahead and claw back encumbered properties, lay suvenir shona. So I say, if that's the case, then ultimately, you know, we'll say in our case over here, where Rachel, right, Rachel has the ability, sorry, Leah has, right, wife, not wife number two, collects her ksuva first. Well, if that's the case, there's nothing left in the estate. Let the Yarshim of Rachel go ahead and what? Seize property from Leah, because now there's nothing left for them. Nothing left for them. To which the Gemara says, Maskif Ravashi, Mimai, how do you know this? Dilma, the Olam Eimelachad, first wide line, the Olam Eimelachad, so let's go back to the first assertion. The first assertion was that when Ruvain dies, sorry, Rachel dies, Ruvain married to Rachel, Rachel dies, and now Ruvain marries Leah. So the Gemara says that the Gemara says that there is still Ksuvas Ben for Rachel's children. For Rachel's Yarshim. To which the Gemara says, how do you know that? So maybe, maybe not. Maybe once, maybe once Ruben gets married, Halacha Lamaisa again, there's no more, there's no longer a Ksuvas Ben for the children of the first marriage. So the Gemara says, Umay Kodmin, what does it mean ultimately again, Kodmin, that Rachel comes first? So I'm sorry, that Leah, the, sorry, that Leah, the second wife comes first. Maybe, Lenachala, right? Maybe I will say what it means is that the Ksuva of Leah, the second wife, comes before any other inheritance considerations. Maybe that's what it means. If that's the case, then why do you have to bring in the inheritors of the first wife, Rachel? Why do they even have to be brought in at all? Ultimately, I will say, since, since it ultimately mentioned the second wife and her inheritors will also mention the first wife and her inheritors. Okay, Sefer so said the Gemara just says, remember, the first thing the Gemara said we learn is that Ksuvas Ben even applies to the Yarshim of the first wife, even after Reuven has married a second wife. To which the Gemara says, maybe not. Maybe not. That, that's all. So in other words, we're not saying no, but we're just saying the proof that you sought to bring is not as conclusive as you thought. Next. That which you said, Abba said, that Aksuva ultimately again could count as the residual estate amount in order to allow the payout of the other Aksuva. Maybe not. Maybe not. And I will say, ultimately again, maybe this is a case where really is there is a residual dinar in the estate. That's how you could pay out the Aksuva's been different. 
And lastly, Ba'achos b'chayi ba'achos b'moso. So I'm sorry. So now we're going back. So now the Gemara says, by the way, Achos b'chayi ba'achos b'moso tenohi. In reality, Rabbi Osei, this idea, this idea of Achos b'chayi ba'achos b'moso. We're not going to be able to go on to this too much longer, but I'll just mention this outside. Rabbi Osei, this concept, this concept of where Reuven is married to Rachel, and then ultimately, again, what happens? Reuven dies. Reuven dies. Sorry. No. Reuven is married to Rachel. And then what happens? Rachel dies. Rachel dies. Now Reuven goes ahead and marries Leah, and now Reuven dies. So now remember again, what are the two claims coming at Reuven's estate? We've got Leah, we've got Leah claiming her ksuva, and we've got the kids of Rachel claiming what? Claiming what? Ksuvas benin dichrin. So the Gemara says, you see from here that the claim of ksuvas benin dichrin carries over even into Reuven's second marriage. So the Gemara says, just want to point out that concept, the achas bechai, the achas bemoso, Tinoihi. That ultimately is a machlokes tanoi. Not everybody agrees this. We'll say just quickly, we'll do one more line. Tisanyo, mesu, achas bechayev, achas bemoso. Benanus, omi yichol, b'nei arishon, alomar, b'nei ashniya, b'nei balas chov atem, tluk suvas imchem utsu. So Benanus says in this case, in this case, ultimately again, the children of the first wife, Rachel, could say to the children of the second wife, which really means to Leah herself, listen, take your ksuva and get out. Doesn't take your ksuva and get out. You get your mother, fine. Your mother take your ksuva, but then we are entitled to our ksuva spinning dikhan. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Kvar Kofza Nachalam Lifne Bene Arishona, the Nafalafne Bene Ashni. Rabbi Akiva says, no, not true. Once, once, once Levi, sorry, once Reuben gets married, once Reuben gets married, ultimately again, the children of the first wife lost, lost, ultimately their ksuva spinning dikhan. My love, Bakhman, forgive us, what are they arguing about? One holds that ultimately, again, even when Reuben remarries, children from the first marriage love ksuvas benim dechren. Umar savar achas bechayi ba'achas b'mosa inlang ksuvas benim dechren. And one holds that no, ultimately, again, there is no longer ksuvas benim dechren once Reuben remarries. Okay, well, so I'll stop here for today. Point of. Oh yeah. Sure. Okay. Why does no one tell me that? You see, I'm running. Mamish, look at me suffer through this. Okay, good. That's like, incredible. Okay, fine. Good. All right. So good. Let's say, here we go. We're going to get into tomorrow's daf. Incredible. So we'll say, so that's the machlokes. Ah. Okay. Says the Gemara. I'm a rabbi. So, say, so this is the Machlokes. Here we go. So this is the Machlokes, Rabbi Akiva and Benanus. Name they get about say, Halokha Lamaisa, Halokha Lamaisa. It's like a new lease on life. Right, so, say, so again, so Halokha Lamaisa, now what happens? Again, just to frame, we're dealing in the same case. Right? Reuben is married to Rachel. Reuben is married to Rachel. Ultimately, again, Rachel dies. Rachel dies. Now, we'll say, at that point, at that point, this Ksuvah Spinendichon, which means Reuben is obligated to go ahead and pay off the Ksuva of Rachel, to Rachel's heirs. Okay, he doesn't. He marries Leah. He marries Leah. Now he dies. Now he dies. So I will say, the fundamental machlok, so again, everybody's agreeing. I will say, what does everybody agree on? Everybody agrees the order of repayment is what? The order of repayment ultimately, again, is first go to Leah, right? Because she is a creditor, and then to Rachel's heirs. Now, the whole notion of paying Rachel's heirs is in and of itself a machlokes. Does Ksuvas benin dichren apply once Reuven has entered into a second marriage and now has a second set of obligations. That's the Machlokes. Benanus ultimately says, yes, 
Rabbi Akiva says no. So Amar Rabba, Ashkechesinah Rabbana de Berab, Diyasivika Amri. So Rabbi says, I found the Rabbana Berab. They were sitting and saying the following. Chuli Amma, Achas Bechayva, Achas Nosa, Yeshlan, Ksuvas, Benedichrin. Everyone agrees. Everyone agrees that Ksuvas, Benedichrin still applies to Rachel's heirs, to the first marriage heirs. Everyone agrees. Bahacha, here's what's interesting. Ksuvas Nasa Mosa Lechavarta, Fuadin Lebalchov Kamiflagi. Rabbi said, what they're really arguing about is as follows. That Halacha, I remember again, in order to have an obligation to pay out Ksuva, what has to happen? What has to happen? There has to be a residual amount that's left in the estate. So what's the shaila? Could a Ksuva count as the residual amount? So you have two Ksuva payments to pay over here, right? You have the Ksuva to Leah, right? It's a straight Ksuva. And Ksuva has been indichrin to Rachel's heirs. So the shaila is, could a Ksuva amount count as the residual within the estate in order to allow for payment of the ksuva. Because also remember again, let's just go back to our principle. What's our principle? There is only going to be a ksuva, ksuva has been different payment. If what? If what? If halacha lamaisa, there's something left in the estate after ksuva has been different is paid. Because if ksuva, payment of ksuva has different cleans out the estate, then what ends up happening is the dindirabanan undermines the dindaraisa of Yerusha. So the question is, can the ksuva amount count as the residual? So Savar, ksuva nasis mos lechaberta, v'adin l'bachov. So we'll say one says, yes, it works for ksuva, and it also works for balchov. In other words, we'll say that halacha l'maysa, that any amount that you owe to another creditor, when that amount is in the estate itself, even though I know I'm going to have to pay it out, it still counts as residual. Still counts as residual. The Umar Savar, the other opinion holds that what? Ksuba Nasis Mosa the Chaverta, sorry, Umar Savar, in Ksuba Nasis Mosa the Chaverta, Vodin Labaho. Another opinion says, no. I will say, what counts as residual? What counts as residual? Unencumbered monies. They both say, it's, it's such a fascinating idea. In other words, everyone agrees. Everyone agrees. So I will say, let's go with what everyone agrees with, right? Let's start with that. What does everyone agree with? At least at this, at this stage of the Gemara. Everyone agrees that the din of Ksuba Sven never goes away. So therefore, even though Reuven remarried, and he married Leah now, and now he dies, the din of Ksuvah Spinendichrin to Rachel's heirs is still there. Everyone is agreeing on that. We will say, what else is everyone agreeing on? That Ksuvah Spinendichrin is only paid out when? When? When there's a residual in the estate. There's got to be something left in the estate. So this is fascinating. What's the Machlokes? What's the Machlokes? What counts as something? Is it only something if it's unencumbered monies? Or no, even if it's encumbered money. So let's say, let's say there's something left in the estate. But I happen to know everything left in the estate is already what? Earmarked for something else. This has to get paid to a ksuva. This has to get paid to a creditor. So there's stuff left. So after you pay out the ksuva, there's stuff left in the estate. But it's earmarked. But it's, it's going out. It's going out. It's not earmarked. What's the word? It's um, allocated. It's allocated, right? It's allocated for something else. It's allocated... So Lamaisa, again, one opinion holds that's still called residual. The other opinion holds, no, no, that's not called residual. What's the definition of residual? What's residual? Residual is unencumbered funds that are left in the estate. Fascinating. So the Gemara says, and I said to them, I said to them, everyone agrees that if there's money left in the estate, even if it's earmarked for creditors, that's still called residual. That's still called residual. Keep Ligi Biksuva. Where's the Machlokis? If there's additional money left in the estate, and ultimately, again, it's allocated for ksuva. Is that amount called residual or not? So, Maskev, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Akiva, Omer, Kvar, Kavtsa, Nachala, 
If that's the case, then why does Rabbi Akiva say that there's no ksuvas benindichrin? Rabbi Akiva should just simply say, as long as there is Moser Dino, as long as there is some residual, that's an unencumbered residual in the estate, you should pay out the ksuvas benindichrin on the first marriage. We're back to square one. No, you're right. You're right. The concept of Moser, whether or not there's ksuvas benindichrin, once there is a second marriage, that is the source of machlokas. That in and of itself. So again, Ruben is married to Rachel, right? Rachel dies. He now marries Leah. He now marries Leah. He dies. So we'll say, so now again, Rachel's Yarshim, Rachel's heirs are coming, demanding the ksuva of their mother. Is there ksuva has been indifferent in such a situation like that? That's the machlokas. Rabbi Akiva says no. Benanis says yes. So it says the Gemara, Vahani Tani, Vahani Tanoi, Kiani Tanoi. And I will say, this Machlok sounds like another Machlok Tanoi. This Sanyo, Nos Esarishon, Umeisa. Right? If he went ahead and he married, right? Ruben married Rachel, and Rachel died. Nos Esarishonia, Umeishu. And then he married Leah, and Ruben died. So what's that, Rachel? Boin Banea Shalzu, Laacher Misa, Venoklin Ksuva Simon. So I will say that again, the Gemara says over here, the Yarshim of Rachel come and take the Ksuva of their mother. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, "In Yesh Moser Dinar, Elu Noklin Ksuvas Iman, the Elu Noklin Ksuvas the Iman." Rabbi Shimon says, "As long as there's a residual of a dinar in the estate, everyone can take the din- the ksuva of their mother." The Imlav Cholkin B'Shava. But if not, Rabbi says, "It's incredible. If there's not the residual dinar, then what? No one gets the ksuva, and ultimately, again, they split everything evenly." My love, Bahakim. If you ask me, what are the arguments the following case? So what says they're arguing about? Is there ksuvas ben indichrin? Once there's a second marriage, which the says, "Lo, the chuli alma achas bechayiv achas." Rabbi says, "Yeshlam ksuvas ben indichrin." Rabbi says, "Everyone agrees." Again, we're back to where we were. Everyone agrees. Rabbi says that ksuvas ben indichrin always applies, even when Ruvain marries Leah, even though it's a second marriage. So now the children of Rachel who passed away still have the din of ksuvas ben indichrin. I top of tzaddik aleph ba'achah b'dinar mikar koi kamifligi. I will say here's what's interesting. Okay, and with this we'll conclude. I will say see here. So okay, good good news. We have a, we don't we don't have a conclusion. We have a conclusion for now. Halacha l'maisa. Everyone is agreeing that ksuvas b'nindichrin from Rachel doesn't go away when Reuven marries Leah. That and therefore when Reuven dies, the children of Rachel have a right to demand their mother's ksuva. What else does everyone agree with? That you need a residual in the you need a residual in the in the estate. In order to collect suas ben indichrin, I saw the machlokas. But dina mikakar mikak mikak mikar koy kamifligi. Marsara mikar koy im taltali lo or marsara im taltali. So what's the machlokas? When we talk about the one dina residual, does that have to be a one dina residual of real property or even movable property? That's the machlokas. Right? So we'll have to shkayach all the stuff we've heard today. So again, we haven't really gotten to the conclusion yet. And Mirat Hashem during the break, during tomorrow, during Yom Kippur, Mirat Hashem, we'll finish the sugya, we'll get the aloha, the maisa, shkoyach.